embrace your mantle. God has been laying this on my heart and mind um, a lot lately, especially this past week. That word mantle just keeps coming up in my spirit. And uh, it really has been over the past couple months, uh, really this year, been many conversations with leadership in this house and uh, prophetic words. And uh, last Wednesday at First Fruits, even, uh, God really impressed me to uh, pull out something in the scripture, which I'm actually going to preach on tonight. Um, but I, I believe that God really wants us to understand that each and every one of us is mantled for something. Each and every one of us is mantled for something. And for some of you, you may be thinking, what does that mean, mantled for something? Well, I'm going to go into the definition of mantles, and we're going to talk about some, some very uh, big truths in the scripture where we see that uh, we are to embrace the mantle that God has put on us. And a lot of times, instead of embracing it, we reject it or even throw it down. And I believe that this is going to be a prophetic message saying, church, it's time to pick up your mantle. It's time to pick up your mantle. You cannot earn any more righteousness than he already bought for you. I'm going to say that again. You cannot earn any more righteousness than what Jesus has already purchased for you. And many of us are waiting to get to that place to start walking in a calling. And I believe God wants you to know tonight, you are as right as you're ever going to be to start that walk. You are as justified as you're ever going to be to start picking up what you are covered in, what you are mantled in, to change this earth so it looks like heaven everywhere we step. Everywhere. So I want to talk about mantles. In biblical times... Um, basically, a mantle was simply a cloak or a robe. Um, sometimes it had sleeves, sometimes not, but it would uh, go from the shoulders all the way down to the ground. Typically, it was large, typically loose-fitting. That's kind of why you see that little graphic. It was a very big cloak or robe um, that was placed over someone, usually made out of animal skin. And it served in practical and spiritual purposes. In practical purposes, to put a mantle on it would to keep people warm. Some of you need a mantle, apparently, tonight in the worship gathering. I hear all the time, you know, Pastor Kyle, you make it so cold. And I want to say, well, if you stay awake, I wouldn't have to make it so cold. Um, that's, oh, oh, okay. Y'all loosen up. Gosh. But they would, they would keep people warm. It would protect them from the elements from doing what they do in, during the day. In a spiritual sense, what a mantle would, what was, what it, it was a sign of being wrapped up in the authority of God. It was a sign of a spiritual covering. Um, prophets were known for wearing mantles um, as a sign for their spiritual calling and covering from God. Uh, many wore mantles. Samuel wore a mantle. Uh, in, in times in Scripture, you may not see the word mantle. You'll simply see a word robe. Samuel wore one. Ezra, um, Elisha, and Elijah, they all wore robes and cloaks and mantles. And, um, and Elijah wore a mantle, and it was very something we see very interesting in 2 Kings 2, 8. It says that Elijah folded his cloak. Now that word cloak is actually, guess what, mantle. He folded his cloak, his mantle, together and struck the water with it. And the river divided, and the two of them, Elijah and Elisha, went across on dry ground. And the reason why I wanted to pull that up is because we have this picture of Elijah taking off his mantle, taking off his robe, taking off his cloak, striking the water, and it did something to the water. It separated the water. It made a way. The reason why I bring that out is because the authority wasn't necessarily Elijah. It was what God put on Elijah. And I say that to say we have to realize we are nothing without what he puts on us. And unfortunately, the church has embraced this idea that we can do it, but Scripture tells us that we can do nothing apart from God. And the more we try to put things in our hands, the more we're going to be in the stagnant state of no change. We have got to start walking up under what God wants to put on us and not what we want to put on ourselves. In John 15, 5, it says, Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Even the prophets of the Old Testament could not do anything without remaining in Jesus. Well, how did the prophets remain in Jesus if Jesus had not come? Because Jesus has always been. Jesus was the word that became flesh. So before we saw the word in flesh, we still had the word. That is why you don't see an established church at large, if you will, in the Old Testament. Because they didn't have the obvious gesture of, here I am, I am Jesus, I am the word in flesh, I'm here to establish the church. You had these uh, remnants of people, if you will, or you had these, these singled out called ones who were abiding in the word of God. So they had an intimate relationship. Did y'all see that? Yeah, the enemy don't like this, I'll tell you that right now. They had an intimate relationship with what God was speaking into the earth, and that word was Jesus. So even the prophets had to remain in Jesus before Jesus. They had to remain in the word. See, we, 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 we've got to start getting out of this idea that when we think word of God, we've we, we got to stop thinking about Bible. The word of God is not the Bible. The word of God is Jesus. The Bible is a record of what Jesus did through people. The Bible is a record of what the word accomplished. So we, we, we use this to help us discern what we're hearing. Is it the word of God or not? But this is not the only word. This is, a, this is a testament of the Word. The Word became flesh. The Word is Jesus. We've got to start understanding that. That, he, that there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Son is, was, and, forever, and will forever be the Word. And that is how Christ exists in the church today when we start walking in the Word. The trick is the church has actually got to walk in the Word. And unfortunately, the church has embraced every ideal other than the word, and then we try to twist the word to fit the ideals. There is nothing in Scripture that points to the fact that gifts have stopped. Yet so many churches try to uh, walk in an area where there are no gifts. What we have to get back to is realize that God does give us gifts. The reason he gives us gifts is to accomplish his purpose, and there is a specific calling and covering and mantle on you, and he will equip you with every gift you need to accomplish the purpose of that mantle. There is a mantle on this house. I believe that mantle is to see people come alive in Christ. I know I say this a lot, but I don't think we can say it enough. Christ is not the last name of Jesus. Christ is the anointed. So to see people come alive in Christ is not a, another cool way to just say we want people to get saved. It's, it's more than that. Salvation is the door to walking in what you are mantled for. So we want to see people come alive in what they were called and anointed to do. If I may go a step further, before we came into the world, we were mantled for something, and then sin made us blind to the mantle. So true restoration is not just understanding that you're saved. True restoration is I am saved, now let me pick up the mantle that he put on me. Is this okay? You are nothing without what has been put on you. And the world, now in the day of Jesus establishing his church, really stands no chance when we start to put on the covering that Jesus purchased for us. Even in that time, we see this, this pattern of putting on a mantle, even when it was time for Elijah to find someone to replace him, to take on the future of the ministry that Elijah established. We see that Elijah actually threw his cloak around Elisha. Elisha didn't take it, Elijah put it on. Elisha. Elijah put on the mantle on Elisha. He was placing his ministry on Elisha, transferring a call. We see it in the scripture in 1 Kings 19. It says this in verses 19 to 21. Elijah went out and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing the field. Let me just say that. Elisha found him doing what he was called to do at the time. And there are many of us waiting for a greater call, but we don't walk in what we're called to do now. 
God wants to find you walking in what you're called to now before He can put anything else on you. So God's not going to put an anointing on relentless to go into new apostolic veins if we can't steward and walk in what we're called to do simply now, like love one another. We've got to walk in what we're called to do now. It says he saw him plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Let me stop here. Elijah said nothing to Elisha. But when that thing was put on Elisha, he knew that he had to walk with the one who put on the mantle. And so many times we accept Jesus and not understanding and accepting Jesus, something has been put on you. And the response is, do I leave everything to go where he wants or do I stay in where I'm at expecting him to call me out from it? He calls you out from it the moment he put it on you. That is why we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. Sometimes we want the sight of God tell me what it is. Because you doubt what he's telling you in a non-audible way. And that's the tough part, right? God's calling me to walk by faith and not by sight. And for some reason, you claim you're saved, but you doubt every word that God gives you. And you're so scared you're going to get it wrong that you never walk forward, not understanding that the grace of God says when you get it wrong, I'll correct the path. What I delight in is you trying to walk. What he does not delight in is you sitting and wait, waiting for a voice. Is that okay? Elisha left the auction standing there, ran after Elijah, let me go, kiss my father and mother goodbye, then I'll go with you, Elisha replied. Go on back, but think about what I've done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen, and he slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, then they all ate. And then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Elijah threw his mantle on Elisha, and Elijah's response was to leave everything behind. Do you realize what he did when he slaughtered the oxen? He, he was literally leaving his career and wealth. It was how he got all his money. He, he took care of 12 team of oxen in a field. He, 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 was a, he was a field man. He was getting all this income in from working the fields and, and having all of this wealth and establishment. And the moment something was put on him, he said, I will leave everything to follow that call. And the problem with the church is that we love the idea of a call, but we don't like the cost of it. So we'll say things like, God, we want healing, but for some reason, we have people that come here once a month, and you think you're dedicated. Because we don't like to put the sacrifice of, okay, if we're called, is it, okay. <laughs> if, if we're called to be sent from an apostolic house, what is there more important for you to be than in the house? And what we do is we abuse that and say, well, well, well God's okay if, if I'm not there physically, and, and I get that people have, you know, I'm not, I'm not mad at everyone for missing every week, but what I am saying is, do we put a posture of significance on the meeting of the ecclesia? Don't worry, I'm not slapping your hand if you got sick and you had to miss. I, I, I know things happen. You know, we have abilities to put the, the messages up and all that, but there is something about putting aside time to put the things of God first. And we want all the big stuff, but we don't like the cost. We don't like the cost of our friendships. So that's why the church at large has like church friends and then real friends. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And, and then we start making excuses within the church. Well, we, we just don't, like our, our personalities don't match. But we're all brothers and sisters, so it doesn't really matter. We're called to sacrifice our wants and desires to build community with those called under the same mantle. 
one thing I'm loving about what's going on in this house is multi-generational, multicultural, um, multi-everything, really. There are so many different denominational backgrounds. There are so many different lifestyles. There are so many different uh, hang-ups each one of us have. Some of us are free from religion. Some of us still have a little bit of religion. Some of us are making up religion. And we have to learn to say, okay, I'm going to leave behind what was my normal to dare to enter into this new culture and new reality called heaven on earth. And a lot of houses haven't done that. And it takes a certain level of faith to walk into the unknown. This is what Elisha was going to do when the mantle was put on him. He said, I'm leaving everything I know. I'm leaving my wealth. I'm leaving my occupation. I'm leaving everything that's normal and I'm following what was just put on me. You have to leave all of the normal behind to embrace the mantle that God has put on you. I remember when I first had a call into ministry, I had a full ride to go through medical school. My, my plan was I was an undergrad at UGA, and my plan was to go to Emory in Atlanta. I ended up there just under different circumstances. <laughs> Brain tumor years ago, for those of you who didn't get that. My plan was to become a cardiologist and make all kind of money. And I had all my school for 12 or 14 years paid for, housing and everything. Huge scholarship. And then I, I remember the call I made to my mom my second year of college saying, I feel like God's leading me to this $14,000 a year job and leave this big scholarship behind. It was the toughest conversation I ever had to have. And to be honest with you, the next seven years in that ministry was not heaven on earth. <laughs> I, I questioned it the moment I took the job. Some of you see some of our worship leaders like Chelsea on stage, that her and her friends were youth at the time, and they filled my car with watermelons to attract ants, and I rode home one day, and just my legs were eaten up. That's the kind of junk I had to deal with back then. <laughs> I mean, testing, 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 testing. But even in the midst of all that, even in the midst of all that, there was something that God was telling me that I had to leave behind everything I knew and walk into this uncomfortable, unfamiliar place. I was a Baptist kid getting a job at a, at a Pentecostal church when I didn't believe in spiritual gifts. Nothing about it fit me, but I knew I had to walk there. And it wasn't the greatest atmosphere and it wasn't the greatest environment, but taking that step is what brought me to this one. You got to leave everything. You got to leave the comfort. You got to leave what you think you know and be willing to go where God is calling you to go. In Matthew 19, the rich man wanted to walk as a disciple, and Jesus had this conversation with me. He's like, the rich man's like, hey, you know, what must I do to, 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 to become a disciple of yours, to enter into the kingdom of heaven? And he was like, well, you know, you got to follow all the commandments. And for those of you that are up there in the sound booth, you got to wait till I get the scripture to you because you're going to ruin my message. Um, <laughs> Richard. I told him to, to he's, he's going to get yelled at tonight. He was having this conversation like, hey, are you following each commandment? And the guy's like, yeah, I'm following it. Yeah, I'm following it. Yeah, I'm following it. And finally, after he said all that, after Jesus was asking him about all the prerequisites, it says this in verse 20 in Matthew 19. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Isn't that good? All Ten Commandments, done. Well, Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions. Give the money to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. See, he was okay with following the rules, but didn't want to give up anything. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person into the kingdom of God. He wasn't just talking about rich as in money. He was talking about people who had so much but could not let go of it. That's why it's normal when you go to third world countries and you see stupid miracles happening every, every single day. Because they have nothing to hold on to. But in America, you know, we hold on to the, uh, if I say things, I'm going to offend people. Okay. You know, we, we hold on to our TV shows. We hold on to our entertainment. 
We, 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 you know, it, I, 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 I hear it all the time. It's football season. You know, we, we, we hold on to all these things. We, we, we hold on to all these things we value. And we wonder why we're not seeing a flow of God in the American church. I mean, let's, let's, let's get, if I, I hope if any pastors are watching this, if I offend you, like, get over it. But I, 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 get, I get so sick of seeing churches like, hey, let's have, like, Super Bowl Sunday. God doesn't care about the Super Bowl. We have more to do than wear our favorite jerseys to church. Is that too much? There's nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with enjoying things, and you know, I I get you know God created athletes and He created the abilities. I'm not I'm not speaking against that stuff. I'm talking about priorities. I'm talking about what are we willing to leave behind. I'm talking about what are we willing to go into. The, the American church has all of these vices that we love to hold on to, and God's like, will you leave it all and walk into what I've mantled you for? The issue is we don't understand the mantle is because our eyes are fixated on our things. There comes a time when a remnant of people need to choose to leave the pride of life and embrace the mantle that has fallen on us. And notice I said the mantle that has fallen. Because even Elijah, if you remember, when Elijah, when he put the mantle on Elisha, it says he threw it. So that means the mantle fell on Elisha. And after that mantle bell on Elisha, we start to see Elisha walking in miracles throughout his life. A mantle has fallen on you. A mantle has fallen on the church. But we haven't embraced the mantle, so we walk in nothing. But I declare not this church, not this house, because we're going to start embracing the mantle that God has poured out. It all began with Jesus. When John the Baptist was baptizing Jesus in the Jordan River, look at what the scriptures say in Matthew 3, in verse 16, it says, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. The mantle settled, fell from heaven on Jesus. What was the mantle? Holy Spirit. You see, it's no longer an actual thing. Like, don't worry, we're not going to start having your know, mantles in the lobby saying, buy your mantle today for, you know, $7.77. You know, we're, we're, not, we're, not, you know we're, not, we're not getting into that kind of stuff. That, that, that there has been a mantle that has fallen on the church called the Holy Spirit. What is a mantle? It is a covering. In the literal sense, remember what it was? A covering to keep warm and to protect from elements. The mantle, the covering of the Holy Spirit has fallen on the church to keep you warm, to keep you satisfied, to keep you comforted, to keep you in all these things and the fruits of the Spirit with joy and happiness and comfort and peace and all these things and to protect you from all the darts of the enemy. But do you embrace it? It fell on Jesus. Even Isaiah prophesied that moment. In Isaiah 42, 1, it says, Look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one. This is the Father speaking on, um, through Isaiah, who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring justice to the nations. The Father put it on him. It fell on him. And then in Acts chapter 2, in verses 1 through 3, it says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were seating. Uh, then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. The Spirit of God, the mantle of Christ, the mantle of God fell on the church. And something interesting that happens later in Acts 8, it says in verse 15, as soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive Holy Spirit. But wait a minute, I thought the mantle fell. 
Watch this. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. The problem with the church today is that many have been baptized and immersed and covered in the revelation of Jesus. But they have not received or embraced the mantle over their lives called Holy Spirit. And that is, that, that is the issue in the church is that we have embraced an incomplete gospel and we simply call the gospel the gospel of Jesus, but that's not the gospel. The only gospel that my Bible tells me about is the gospel of the kingdom made possible by Jesus. The gospel of the kingdom is that he wants to establish his reign throughout the earth for everyone to come to know him, for us to cast out demons, tread on scorpions and serpents, to walk in all the things of God. And the only way to do that is through Jesus. Why? Because through Jesus, you receive the mantle and covering that you need to go and do. You were made right to do it before you were born. And you were born into a false reality saying you are nothing and you're unworthy and you're imperfect and you're a sinner. And then Jesus comes with the revelation saying, through me, you are no longer a sinner. You are pure. You are spotless. You are perfect. You are righteous. Now go walk with it. Yet for some reason in the church, we've made walking in a mantle the most difficult thing to do. Well, you've got to go through 18 classes and you've got to be at this church for five years and you better make sure you give every dime to the church so that you can do. None of that's a prerequisite to go do. It's you go do, and as you walk in what you are mantled in, the culture of heaven starts to consume your life, and then your life starts to look like the things that you should be doing. What religion does is you better get these things right so you can walk in what you're mantled in. What Jesus says is pick up your mantle and you'll start looking like these things. Is this okay? Oh, it's so good. We're covered in a mantle. Some have embraced it, some have not. And some have thrown it down. You have all been covered with something. You've all been mantled to do something. Some have embraced a mantle, but then that something happens in your life and you throw the mantle down. You ever been like at the top of, the, of your walk with Christ? You're walking in all the things that he has put on you in the spirit. You're walking in your calling. You're walking in your gifting. And then something happens. Leadership betrays you. Right? People let you down. People are found not perfect. And you grieve in a moment saying, I can't be a part of this anymore. And you throw down your mantle. Job did it. Job was at the top of his walk with God. And then Satan said, hey, let me attack him. And with God's permission, he did. Job lost his animals and his farm workers. In other words, his career and his income. Job lost his camels and his servants, his transportations and his help. Job lost all his sons, all his daughters. And Job's response, everyone can probably think of it and quote it. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. But we never look at the verse right before he says that. Job 1.20 says, Job stood up and he tore his robe in grief. Guess what robe is? Mantle. He tore his mantle in grief. He shaved his head and he fell to the ground to worship. He tore down his mantle in grief. Well, what was he mantled in? Well, look at Job 1, 1 through 5. It tells you what distinguished him. It tells you what God put on him. It says, there was once a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz, Uz, whatever you want to call it. I call it Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God. He stayed away from evil. He had seven sons, three daughters, 
He owns 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 female donkeys. He had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that area. Dude was distinguished. God put something on him to do all that very well. Job's sons, verse 4, would take turns preparing feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, you know you're doing good when you party in for days. Job would purify his children. For he would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. I want to, let me sit there for a second. He wasn't just worshiping God saying, thank you for what you've done in my life. He was giving offerings and sacrificial offerings on behalf of every child he had. In other words, he was representing them in his worship. Let me, let me say this. Jesus represented us on the cross. We are called to be the mirror image of God. In other words, when someone looks at you, they should see a reflection, not of you. But when they look at you, they should see God reflecting off of you. So if God operates in the principle of representation, maybe the church needs to realize we do it too. You've got kids that have run away from your families. Maybe we should start operating and representing the fallen ones so that the mantle over us would pass over them without their knowing, which would cause them to say, what is this going on in my life? And that's how sons and daughters return home. I'm talking about representation. We love to come to give a God an offering of praise for what he's done in our life. Well, maybe the ones that you, in your life, that have gone away, instead of praying that they will start to worship, maybe you just offer up a praise on their behalf. And the representation, the mantle, the covering, the oil on you would flow to them, and they don't even know where the river's coming from. This may sound a little religious to you, but God dropped this in my spirit when I was preparing. We love to tithe the 10% to represent us. Maybe if you've got family that don't understand the point of it, maybe you should represent them and offer up an offering. We're called to represent just as Christ did. And then when they start to experience his favor, you reveal the biggest blessing in their life. You've been represented. Now go do it. See, we love the idea of Christ representing us, but if we are to walk as Christ, we've got to understand the principle at hand here. Job was offering up on behalf of every son and daughter. Is that okay? He was offering up on behalf of every single one. For Job said to himself, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. That was Job's regular practice. He was covering them by offering up, not just praying for them, representing them. He was blessed. He was walking in his calling. He was presenting himself as a sacrifice. And even from his own treasury, he was, prevent, he was presenting sacrifice on behalf of his kid. Job was doing it, and then he lost everything, and he tore off that mantle in grief. The problem is, He didn't pick it back up. There was a time to grieve. There's always going to come a time in your life where you're walking in what God's called you to do. Life happens and you tear the mantle in grief. You you pause for a moment. I'm done. I'm I'm done with the church. Anybody ever been there? You know what? I'm not going to walk in what I'm called to do anymore for a while. I'm taking a break. There's always a time to grieve. But you must pick it back up. See, what happens with Job, there's 42 more chapters of him doubting God. Why'd you do this? You ain't there. You ain't good. He even doubted the goodness of heaven. He even doubted the reality of God. I know no one in here has ever done that. He was doubting everything because everything was taken, and he never picked the mantle back up. So he was just walking further and further away. And throughout this entire book of Job, through this conversation of doubt, Look what happens in Job 42.1. Finally, Job replied to the Lord after God had many conversations, God, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? Job's like, it's me. That's pretty bad when you know God just called you ignorant. 
It's I. I was talking about these things. I knew nothing about things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. And look what Job says. I take back everything I said. I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Job is speaking, and he realizes what's true. You see, in chapters before, God was showing him that he's a, he can master behemoth and, and leviathan, big monsters and, and big big things that, that, that are too big to handle. God can handle that. Through Job, he was, Job was questioning. He was bitter. He was discontent. He doubted the goodness of God. Job doubted even that there was a heaven. And now he is back in this humble state and repenting. Because repentance is not just I'm sorry. And it's not just turning back by the renewing of your mind. I teach that all the time. Repentance is transforming your mind. So you're going in one direction. Repentance is changing the way you think, walking the other direction. But here's the, here's the part we miss about repentance. Walk in the other direction and pick up your mantle. True repentance is I'm picking up what I am embracing what God has put on me instead of rejecting it because I think my wrong things are bigger than his goodness. And we've been talking about this with some of the leadership in this house. I believe that that is a special calling on this house, that there are going to be people that come into this house, and I believe it's already happening, where the mantle that you've put down, you're picking it back up. I believe that's going to be a mark of this house to transform this area, that people come here to get mantled. People are coming here to come alive in what they've put down, what they've rejected, what God has simply said here. It's free, but we make it costly. Many have gone through all types of hurt, laid down our mantles, and never picked them back up. But if we would... God would do crazy things through this principle called representation. Because when Job repents, he picks the mantle back up. Look what happens in verse 7. After the Lord has finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Timonite, I'm angry with you and you two of your friends. You see, there were three friends of Job, and they were talking wisdom on behalf of God that wasn't the wisdom of God. God wasn't happy about that. You know, like when you go to your friends for wisdom, but the wisdom isn't biblical? but you still take the wisdom because they're your friends, and then you wonder why it didn't work? Because you went into darkness with more ignorance. But God wasn't happy. I'm angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So take seven bulls and seven rams, go to my servant Job, and offer a burnt offerings for yourselves. Watch this. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. Now remember, when he was in Job chapter 1, what was he mantled in? He was walking in all good things and offering up on behalf of the sins of his sons and daughters. And God accepted it. So when he picks the mantle back up at the end of this chapter, immediately God goes to the sinful people that he wants to deal with and he says, I'm not going to... I don't want to really deal with y'all, but when that man prays over you, I accept that prayer. And what we have to realize, if we start to pick up the mantles that God has placed us in, there are people that you are thinking of right now that you've been praying over for years that God says, I might not give them what they want, but I'll hear it through you. You see, we pray for sons and daughters to get back to church so they can see Christ. But what if it's not get them in the building? What if it's I'm, I'm walking in what I'm called to do, knowing that God will answer their prayers when I pray on their behalf? And they start experiencing miracles that draw their attention to the Almighty all because you were offering, walking in what you're mantled for. No longer saying, well, they're a lost cause. No, no, no. You're offering yourselves up for, for the cause. 
So it's not, let's look at these churches and talk about why they're not walking in what they're called to do. Let's realize what we're called to do. Lord, bless the churches on Highway 80. We represent them. (laughs) We represent the church at large. So, Lord, just as you're doing it now, we give you offering on behalf of all the churches in Pooler, in Effingham, on the island. Whenever you drive by a church, offer it up. Lord, I represent this church. Have your way. Your will be done. Lord, I've been praying for my son to come back for years. I've been praying for my daughter to come back for years. Lord, right now, I offer you, I offer you praise from them on their behalf. Amen. You see, we don't get taught that stuff because it's, it's what, what you offer up on their principal representation. You reflect the glory of God. What did he do? Represented you on the cross. So that you would come alive by something you never did. Why not offer that up on behalf of someone else? Pick up your mantle. What mantle? You are covered in a power and authority that is beyond capability to understand. I don't understand how it works either. But we have testament that it does. So work it. I I, I can't tell you that I'm going to teach a 45-minute class on how that happens. I don't know. I'm not supposed to understand it. What was was the thing we were not supposed to eat of in in the garden? The knowledge of good and evil. We weren't supposed to have the knowledge of how the goodness of God works. But our hang-up is we crave, let me understand how it works so that I can work it. God says, no, 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 no. Walk by faith, not by seeing the knowledge. Oh, this is, none of this is in my notes. I love it. I love it. These these friends of Job were speaking wisdom of the world that didn't apply to Job. God wasn't pleased, but Job picking up his mantle is now back to praying and representing his friends just as he did his children. He was operating in what he operated in before. And after he started picking up his mantle and representing others, look what happens in Job 42. When Job, verse 10, prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. When he started serving the needs of people God wasn't pleased with, God restored his stuff. Why? Because his mantle was to operate on behalf of those who didn't know him. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Then all his brothers, sisters, and former friends came and feasted with him in his homes. That's interesting. Former friends. They left him. And then they came back. They consoled him and comforted him because of all the trials that the Lord had brought against him. And each of them brought him a gift of money and a gold ring. Do you see how God restored the fortune? He did it through the ones that left. When he started operating on their behalf. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than the beginning. Now he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 team of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He gave Job seven more sons, three more daughters. He named his first daughter Jemimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimim
is to walk in what he has mantled you for. Some people have been mantled to do great things in business. Some people have been mantled into teach and equip. Some people have been mantled into working at gas stations. Some people have been mantled into a a beautiful ability to console people and, and to help people walk through grief. I don't know what you're mantled in, but none of it is insignificant when you realize that every good and perfect gift comes from above. You were mantled in something to walk in it so that the whole can walk in a blessing, an inheritance from heaven that is so big you'll never have any need. But we don't walk in the inheritance because we don't get postured because we don't pick up the mantle. Posture. There's a significance in our posture for God's use. God gave me something in the scripture this weekend that I thought was so good. In 1 Timothy 2.8, it says, In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. Now, in its most simplest state, we would think, okay, that just means simply lift your hands up. But there's a lot more in it than that. You see, first of all, men is used as a representative word of the whole congregation. And it doesn't just say lift up hands to God. It says lift up holy hands. You know what holy hands are? Hands that are set apart for God to use and hands that are not given in the evil. He says... I want your hands for my use and not your own. I want your hands lifted to walk in what I've called you to do, what I've mantled you for, not what you're seeking yourself. Let's get real. Go back to the testimony of me walking away from everything. I was never mantled to be a doctor. By my own accord, I could have done it. I ain't stupid. I could have studied. I could have gotten the degrees, but I guarantee you there would not be the joy even in a, working a job that paid me hundreds of thousands of dollars a year that I have as walking as a pastor. You can walk in all kinds of stuff. The question is, are you walking what you're mantled for? There are people mantled for that career, and there are people mantled in what God has asked you to do. The interesting thing about mantling and the posture we see in Acts 2 earlier that the Holy Spirit fell on the church what we overlook is what happened in the verse right before that you see in Acts chapter 1 we see this uh, this story of Judas uh, killing himself Judas removed himself because he wasn't walking as holy he was walking in the evil the love of money right Judas removed himself and before the Holy Spirit fell They had to do something. In Acts chapter 1, verses 20 through 26, it says, Peter continued, this was written in the book of Psalms, where it says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who are with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John to the day he was taken from us, whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. They all prayed, O Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry. He has deserted us. He has gone where he belongs. They cast lots. Matthias was selected to become an apostle of the other eleven. What did they have to do before the Holy Spirit fell upon the church? They had to get things in order. They put the situation in order. They corrected the posture of their seeking. And many times we want to walk in the mantle of a spiritual covering, but we don't like to get our life and church in order. We don't sacrifice anything for the cause of the kingdom. We're called the lender, not the borrower, yet the order of the church has become borrow ideas from the world instead of lend knowledge to it. I don't believe that's just a passage about money. We borrow all these strategies from the world saying, let's grow our church. And God's like, I haven't mantled you for that. That doesn't look like my covering at all. We have people leading churches who don't even know Jesus. They just know about him. The church is totally upside down. There's ministries that don't even believe in the fivefold gifts of, the, of, of Jesus for the church. 
it, it, for me, that is not, it, maybe I'm a little too bold in this. That's fine. It, for me, that's not a matter of opinion. For me, it's we have to realize that if we are going to walk in what we're mantled in, we have to get everything in order. And the fact of the matter is the order of the church is not for a pastor to lead a congregation. The order of a church is that a pastor should pastor people, tend to their needs. There has to be an apostolic leader over a house. There has to be a pastor in the house. When I say a pastor or a apostolic leader, I'm not talking about a person. This is not find five people to put in leadership. This is find the five gifts and put them into use, an apostolic gift, going to places that no one wants to go, that God has, let, that God has mantled you for. I believe this house is mantled to be a, a, a resource for churches in this area, and it won't be the resources that they've been looking for. They're not going to come to this church to find resources on you know, how to have the best lighting system. They're not going to come to this church for resources necessarily on how to put in the best system for assimilation. You know what they're going to come to this house for? They're going to say, how are you walking in what you're walking into? Because no one has fathered us into that. There's got to be an apostolic gift. There's got to be a prophetic gift. There's got to be a pastoral evangelical. There, ha there has to be all five. What's the, other, what's the fifth one I'm missing? Uh, oh, yeah, teacher. There has to there has to be the, what, get it in order so you can embrace the mantle that wants to fall on this congregation so badly. I believe the mantle has fallen on this house. But we embrace it or we reject it. If this house is going to walk in what we are mantled to do, our posture must be aligned with truth. And if we are holy, as Scripture says, we must mirror holiness. It's not we've got to get posture to get holy. It's if we are holy, let's posture ourselves according to the identity that we are holy. In other words, when you realize you're holy, we're not trying to earn God's favor. We start to walk in what we have been favored to do. I am sick and tired of the church saying it's going to happen. God's going to do it. You know how he's going to do it? When we start walking in it now versus when it's going to happen. It, it has already fallen. Let me, let me get more clear. There are tons of people in this room right now I'm looking at. You can teach things that I can't teach. You've walked in ministries that I haven't walked in. It's time for you to start walking in what you're mantled to do. There, there are people in this house who no one's ever given you a chance. Well, it's a new day. Because this house has been mantled to help you walk in what you should have been walking in your whole life. And just because you haven't been walking in it doesn't mean time's been lost. Because God says, I can redeem it all in a moment. I can take all the, the, the wasted time and get you further in a moment. All I need is your yes. All I need is your posture. All I need is you to get in order with what I want you to do. And the order is not, God, I am not worthy. Stop saying you're not worthy when he has made you worthy. I'm unworthy to do it. You're rebelling against the truth that he has spoken in your life. You are worthy because of what he did. Not because of what you did, but because of what you are worthy. Kyle, you don't know my life. I don't need to. God knows it, and he still calls you worthy. But if you never walk in what you're mantled to do, You'll never reflect the truth of your holiness. You'll reflect the lie that you've embraced as not holy. Hmm. Hmm. Mantles. Some of us are embracing mantles. that you were never postured for, that you were never created for because it looks good on somebody else. And you think the only way to walk in your calling is to look like theirs. You know, you, you, you talk different in the pulpit than you do with people because you got to have the, the, the height. Or for some reason, when you come together in prayer, you get more boldness that you don't have anywhere else. I believe it's supposed to bleed over and carry over. 
Because it's not come to, I'm going to become something different. It's I'm going to walk in what I'm becoming. You've you got to realize that you are good enough, even if it doesn't look like the most successful minister in the world. What we tend to do is we try to put on stuff that isn't us, thinking that we're not enough. We actually see it with David fighting Goliath. I'm going to go there. You see, no one believed this little boy could do anything. He was bringing like, like grapes and stuff, like food to the armies. And David has this whole conversation like, y'all scared of that guy? I'll take him on. They had this whole conversation and they, Saul's finally like, okay, I'll let David take on Goliath since my army won't do a thing. Look at the conversation in 1 Samuel 17, verse 38 through 40. Saul gave David his own armor. Don't catch that. Saul put Saul's mantle on David. A bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, took a step or two to see what it was like. He had never worn such things before. Look at what's happening. He was putting on what he was never called to put on. To look like a successful King Saul. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Again, he picks up five smooth stones from a stream, puts them into his shepherd's bag, and then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistines. You see, he didn't try to walk in what the world called wise in the way. David walked in what he was mantled for. At that time, all he knew was one thing, shepherding in fields. That's all he knew, serving, shepherding, and fields. So what does David do? When he's fighting a giant, turn it down a little bit, please. When he's fighting a giant, he doesn't say, let me get the best armor. Let, let me put on something that I'm not used to. He just says, what do I know? I know the rocks from the stream, and I know my shepherd's bag. When Elijah threw the mantle over Elisha, he found him plowing a field. He found him doing what he was mantled for at the time. And when David goes up to fight this Philistine giant to conquer Goliath, he doesn't go in with anything fake or anything we deem successful in ministry. He says, all I know is my stones and my shepherd's bag. I'm a good shepherd. I'm a good servant. I'm a good field boy. I'll take him out with what I know. You cannot defeat giants in your life. And, and, and posture yourself into something you're not. You cannot put a mantle on or walk in a mantle that you were never called to walk in. And I think that's the issue with a lot of leaders in church is we see someone walking in a mantle that we're not called to walk in, so we say, let me take your mantle away and let me try to put it on. And we create congregations of people where everyone's depending on the man in the pulpit because no one's saying, Walk in your mantle. Oh, your mantle, what your mantle to do, I could never do that. So instead of being intimidated by it, we should be saying, let me help you grow it. Amen. You're not called to teach like I teach. I'm not called to walk like you walk. There is something that each and every one of us are called to. God has graced us to walk in mantles we are not worthy of, and every single person is known for something. Abraham was a man known for his faith. David was a man known for his warfare and his worship. I wonder, what were you created to be known for as something significant to bring the kingdom of heaven to this earth? And are you walking in it? You know, what's interesting, uh, Mr. John pointed this out at First Fruits, is when David picked up those five stones, he slung one. And it's interesting about those five stones because that number five we see again in the fivefold apostolic ministry. What did David do? He gathered all five needed to be mantled into one effort to take down the giant. One stone. He didn't have to throw all five. He threw one. I believe that what God gave Mr. John the other night is something that we need to release prophetically in this house. When we start to embrace all things that God has given us 
It is a one unified effort that the enemy cannot stand to. And when we start to walk in what we're mantled for, all of the strongholds that the enemy has had over this area, they, 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 ain't, they, ain't, they ain't that strong. You know what's a lie about strongholds? Is that they're strongholds. They're, they're not strong. We've given them more power. Realize, realize the mantle that you've been put, that God has put on you. The only authority that Satan has is your agreement. Even if you are not saved, he feeds off of permission of the unsaved. Because God has mantled us into something before we even realize what we were mantled in, and we're given permission to the wrong thing. Do you realize what you are capable of? I don't care how your childhood was. It does not change what you are mantled for. I don't care if mom and dad did you wrong. It does not change what you are mantled for. You know what changes what you're mantled for? When you forgive all the wrong so that you can embrace the mantle. When you let go of the bitterness so you can embrace the mantle. When you repent so that you can walk into what you are called to and embrace the mantle. We are mantled for such a time as this. John 14, 12 says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I had done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Why are we called to do even greater works than Jesus himself? We're mantled for it. We're covered in the spirit to do incredible things, but we've got to embrace it. Church, God is leading us into areas that, quite, if I can just be honest, I have cast vision for years about this church transforming this area. Up until this past few years, I don't think I ever really believed it. Is that okay to be transparent? I think it was, for me, it was just, this is just good church jargon to grow a church. And the more I realize how much of a lie that was, the more I'm starting to see the false mantles that people are accepting like that. If I say this, people will come to my church. That's what a lot of churches do. They want to say the right thing. They want to look a certain way. If we walk into what we are called to do, their eyes are going to be open. We're going to offer up offerings on their behalf. We're going to walk into stupid things that people have only dreamed about. Miracles, signs, and wonders flowing, not for the purposes of look at us. You know what? You know, you know something I've been noticing in this house? Every time someone refers to something going on at Relentless, every time, and many of you probably are not even where you said this, this is what everyone says. God is doing something here. There's a move of God going on. God's at work. I never hear relentless is the place to be. And it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Because we're not giving credit to something called relentless. We are simply his church. And I, I, I'm, when we, let, let, let's change our awareness of what we say. When we say God is doing something here, let the here be this region. Let the here be the church where it ain't happening. Let here be everywhere so that Jesus is glorified. We are not trying to build an organization called Relentless Church. We are walking in, we are walking in what we are mantled in for the purpose of redeeming Chatham County, Effingham County, Bryan County, wherever you are. That's what we're walking into. That there is, there, there is no more Jew and Gentile. There is just Israel. There is just the church. Let's embrace the mantle. Let's embrace the mantle of we want to be different. We want to walk in a new way. We want to have a little different language. We want to walk in what God has called us to do. So, Lord, tonight I embrace what you've mantled me for. I am no longer going to embrace the lie that I can't do it. I'm no longer going to embrace the lie that I've had too much happen to me. I'm no longer going to keep grieving over something that happened 10 years ago. Tonight I'm picking up the mantle. Tonight I'm embracing the mantle. And I'm going for it. Yes. 
Are any of you with me on that? I am going for it. Let's stand tonight. Let's stand. Tonight, this is going to be the altar call. I'm going to pray, and there's going to be altar workers up here. If you need to leave, totally fine, but this is the call tonight. The scripture says that when they went to the church and they received the mantle of Holy Spirit, they laid hands on the people. So I simply offer this. All my altar workers, if you're scheduled tonight, go ahead and come up. If you feel like you have dropped a mantle, have put down a mantle, have torn a mantle, or simply have not embraced a mantle, I encourage you tonight to come up to the front. We're going to lay hands on your shoulders, and we're just going to speak that whatever God has called you for, that it would come alive and well unknown tonight, and that you would start seeing the pathways to walk in what you're mantled for. Amen? So, Lord, we thank you for this message tonight. We thank you that you have mantled us, positioned us, and covered us with your Holy Spirit to accomplish a purpose. I speak into every single voice, uh, every, every single person, every single vessel, every single temp, <clears throat> temple tonight, God, that you would awaken them to what they are mantled to do specifically so that we walk in what we're mantled to do corporately. Fall fresh, God. Let him receive it. <clears throat> Tonight, Lord, we offer up praise on behalf of all the houses in this area. Lord, as you are blessing us with healings and miracles because of what we're walking into, Lord, I decree and declare that tomorrow miracles would fall in these houses to such a way that they're not going to understand why or how. Even the houses that don't believe it, God, let it happen. We offer up our faith on their behalf. Let healing start happening in the Baptist churches. Let it happen in the Catholic church. Let it happen in every, every single church that any of us pass by tonight, God. That you would get glory. That people would come to know you, Jesus. That even though this house isn't full, tomorrow morning, people who have never entered into a church before uh, will suddenly turn their wheel into the parking lot and walk into these sanctuaries. A mass exodus of their darkness into light. It's in Jesus' name we pray, everybody said. Amen. Amen. This altar is open. I love you guys. Hope you have a great night.